0: <laughs>
1: is it um is it like a new person it's an oldie
0: uh a couple years ago yeah
1: but is it like selena gomez or taylor what's her swift somebody like that
0: first of all those are those people are in different brackets
1: i didn't put them in the same bracket.
0: second of all no Okay
1: Uh no Give me some more humming
0: <clears throat> Um
1: Is it a Disney movie?
0: Uh-uh, uh-uh.
1: Go from the hum to the uh uhs Uh uhs
0: Yeah like, <laughs> like yeah.
1: Is it Prince? <magician> I mean not Prince um, Sting? No I give up
0: it's Casey Musgraves.
1: Oh, would I never got in that. 300,000 kisses.
0: Casey Musgraves is amazing. I don't even
1: think I know one song of hers. Unless it's on the radio and it's so popular, it reached even my deaf ears in Antarctica.
0: In Antarctica?
1: I'm just, it's a metaphor. Like, that's how I, the far thank reaches.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I know.
1: Of cultural music. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just am so. Casey
0: Musgraves is like country music. I mean, she's okay. also like sort of.
1: Does Craig like her? Yeah. Oh. As
0: far, I think so. I feel like he's responded when I've.
1: Casey did. Yeah, well, thanks for playing that game with me.
0: She's from Golden, Texas.
1: Golden, aren't they all from Texas?
0: They aren't, but they Tear should, they should
1: be. in my beer and I'm crying for my dear.
0: Texas country is actually I, prefer, I prefer it much more. Really? Natural country.
1: I don't know much about music, much less country music, mm-hmm. but I was told when I was a park ranger and we had outdoor nights or whatever, mm-hmm. and we had that uh, there was a, a guy, Randy Rogers, is he Texas country? Mhm. Yeah, I knew that he was Texas country.
0: Good. I uh, my dad really liked. Uh, there was a big Texas country scene sort of around College Station when my dad was at A and M, and so we listened to a lot of those. Guys.
1: What is the Texas country distinguishing mark? Like a lack of steel guitar or something?
0: No, uh, I don't quite know what it is. To me, I just always like it's a lot of storytelling, and I that's like my favorite kind of.
1: Music. Okay, yeah.
0: So it's a lot of.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this last night because Catherine Ballas sent me a thing to listen to. Okay, and it was uh, I I would put this in the genre of not rap, but like it was kind of almost like a country rap. Okay, yeah. Where where it wasn't like a beat driven, it was like a a guitar driven. Was it
0: Lil Nas X?
1: (laughs) No, it was uh, Lauren Hill. Okay, who's that? Do you know?
0: No, no.
1: So anyhow, I was thinking as I was listening. The, the words were rich and deep, yeah, um, but I don't connect to music because of lyrics ever, yeah, I don't even hear the lyrics, yeah, so it's a weird thing, and I was thinking the reason you listen to country and the reason you listen to rap are for the lyrics, yes, both of that's what those things, though they'd be so far apart stylistically, are really the same, yeah, um like you two, yeah, I think of them as really melodically driven
0: okay. And that's why you like it. I think
1: me. that's like, think of like Streets with No Name. Oh it's like God. a minute and a half intro of just the organ. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, and that's your vibe.
1: That's my thing.
0: Well, that's good.
1: <clears throat> okay. Well, that was a nice rabbit trail to begin our podcast with. Did you have a good week?
0: Yeah. Week, weekend. How's your brackets? Um, I'm, I am was second last I checked in the men's.
1: I know, you're doing really good.
0: Yeah, but I'm a, like a couple games behind, so, who do you, um, did you
1: lynn manuel baranda is the yeah. lawyer. i don't know who that you, is oh you don't know who that is but yeah. that is gonna be so much fun when we discover i
0: know so yeah but i'm in second which is fun kathleen was mad her brackets all busted um in the men's i haven't looked in the women's in a while so i'm not
1: i think i still have three final four teams there in my championship game oh no that's in a different bracket never mind no oh, okay. the one i did for ubc was no yeah that one i have baylor winning it all and the but women, I think and
0: the men's or the women.
1: Men, well, both. But I think um everybody's got Baylor, so I can't get ahead. Yeah. I do have Michigan, and also have Gonzaga in the Final Four. Yeah. So maybe if not ten people pick Michigan, I could get a little ahead.
0: I know. I'm hoping Gonzaga will get beat in this round. Actually, even though I don't think that's good for my bracket, <laughs> but I would rather the men not play Gonzaga. Yeah. So it would up? help their odds. Yeah, it would definitely help their odds. It's been so fun. I've watched so much basketball. And also it's nice because I didn't get to watch as much of it. I mean, like we didn't have the tournament last spring and that was a real bummer.
1: I think I have actually been paying more attention to the women's tournament this year.
0: Yeah, the women's tournament has been amazing.
1: Um,
0: the Baylor game on Saturday was amazing.
1: Yeah, I didn't watch that either, but I did see it was overtime. Yeah, and they almost lost. But they here, really did. like, so this is the first year I've ever picked women's, uh-huh. and I picked always the higher seed uh-huh. until Baylor plays UConn, and then I picked Baylor to keep winning it all. Yeah, and they're a two seed. But um, I'll, so through the first round, I'm like, oh my gosh, there is no parity because I had 29 of 32 right. Uh-huh. just by picking the higher seed. Uh-huh. But my goodness did that tournament get crazy. Yes. NC State got stunned. Yeah. Um there's been a couple other upsets and so it's been a little fun.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the networks have done a good job of do of like doing things that are sh- like sort of human interesty things about all the players and um parents and stuff like that that are short enough that I can just watch them yeah. while you're watching the game. And that's been really nice. It's been really interesting and I feel like I've gotten to know a lot about both the men's and women's teams that are playing, and it's just been really cool. It's been a great tournament, I think. And the men's was insane as well. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first time that a double-digit seed, that two double-digit seeded teams have gotten into the Elite Eight.
1: In the same tournament? In
0: the same tournament, yeah. Okay,
1: I remember when, um, well, VCU was a play-in team one year. Oh, wow like so they won that game which UCLA is on the verge of doing yeah if they were to sneak in yeah but um they got all the way to the final four as a playing team i think mm-hmm. there was an 11 seed mm-hmm. and then gosh back in 06 i think it was 05 might have been 05 no 06 spring 06 um the uh george mason whatever they are hmm. um yeah they were a 13 seed and got to the final four wow that was crazy
0: well and um Oral Roberts almost won their game.
1: Yeah, they were close.
0: Like, it was, like, until the, you know, I feel like Baylor always does this. It's, like, they always start slow, and then by the end, they're winning by so much that, like, if you just told someone the score, they wouldn't know how, like, harrowing it was to watch the game. But Oral Roberts did kind of the opposite of that. It was like, they played so good the whole game, and then at the very end. Yeah, it's tough. Well, actually, and they just lost by a three-pointer.
1: Yeah. Oral Roberts, good story. Hey, let's talk about that for a second. Oral Roberts? Yeah, because I'm I'm being more disciplined in how I use language now because of your admonishment. Um,
0: What? My admonishment?
1: Yeah, about not using a certain term so flippantly. Okay. So there have been calls, and I should have read the article. Maybe I shouldn't even bring this up, but it doesn't take a giant leap for me to figure out what's going on. Um, that um, Oral Roberts should be whatever from the tournament or cut yeah, off. Barred? Or... Yeah, I don't. And again, I didn't read it. I don't know what people were proposing. <coughs> but um, for reasons that I'm sure you or I might be empathetic with. Sure. But the truth is, that's always been the case with that school, and people just know about it now because the men's basketball team won two games. Yes. Any thoughts on it?
0: Um, on whether or not they should be barred from the tournament?
1: Well, I would think... Here's my one thing. Uh-huh. Well, one, this is never going to happen. That um, they get barred right. from the tournament? Right. <laughs> but I would like... If you're ever going to consider something like this, you have to do it. It has to be a policy across the board way before the tournament begins. Yes. You can't like discover a team has won and they're like, no!
0: Here's the thing I think probably. Um, I think. You know, obviously this is sort of on the spot. I do think that... Um, I'm nervous about what I'm about to say um, It's like Well here's what here's what's true I do think we live in a country where people are allowed to esp- Like espouse their own beliefs And live them out Do you know what I mean? So like do I think that Oral Roberts should be banned from the NCAA tournament? No I don't quite think that's fair Do I want anyone I know To send their student To Oral Roberts University? No definitely not
1: Yeah that's a good nuance um, I don't know enough about it either to know exactly what people are upset about. I should have read.
0: Me either. And also, I think, I mean, I. so I also went to a small, like, liberal arts Baptist university. And there are lots of things in the handbook that are not necessarily, like, they're gross and bad. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But, like, my lived experience at that school was not, like, those things were never being... Right. Enforced. It's and not so, the focus
1: of what's happening there.
0: And so then those, I think about those sweet basketball players and like how they just want to play basketball as often as they can and as competitively as they can. And like, I don't think they went to Oral Roberts University because they believe in like those things. They just went there. Well, it's the I do think to.
1: though that that is a particular kind of choice.
0: To go there? I think
1: that may be true of athletes because, you know, you take the opportunities you can get. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, that, like, there's lots of places to play basketball that, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I shouldn't guess. Um, um,
0: yeah, there are lots of places to play basketball. I mean, uh, my brother tore his ACL his junior year, but he was getting scouted by schools before that.
1: Really, Jake? Mm-hmm.
0: Didn't know that. Yeah. And, um... And it just, it, like, never worked out because of the ACL injury. And he was really good at basketball, is really good at basketball. Yeah. And so I don't think it's quite, like, you can just take your pick of places. Yeah, no. Like, it is kind of like you get the opportunities that you're getting. I guess
1: I was thinking, though, like, if he could get, a, if a guy could play for ORU, presumably he could play for Santa Clara, or he could play for... You know, I'm trying to pick r- real random, obscure schools.
0: Yeah, but they don't always... I mean, those schools are smaller. They don't have the budget. Yeah. They're not traveling as much. They don't always... Yeah. But I do think... I mean, the football guys were always from crazy places at Watchtower, so... Yeah. Well,
1: know. and then I think about, like... I have a little different perspective on you because of the way I grew up religiously. Mm-hmm. Like, Oral Roberts was one of the icons in the charismatic movement. Oh, really? So, like, um, it was a, a different kind of... I would probably rejected him for different reasons Yeah. than I think. Right. Like handbook issues.
0: Right. For me, yeah.
1: it was like a perspective on a damaging movement of a theology that was poor.
0: Yeah. I guess I know less about that. But I
1: also don't think people have enough nuance in understanding the university to be asking the university to block them for that. Yeah. I would guess. Again, I didn't read the article. Well, anyways, fun tournament. Um, I have enjoyed it, even though the Big Ten has been god-awful. And yeah. the Pac-10 has been unbelievable.
0: I know. I saw, uh, I, I thought of you yesterday. I saw a map. well, two notes. I saw a map that was like, here's the schools in the Elite A. It was just for the men's tournament. And essentially, like, past, I think, like, Louisiana. And it was just kind of like, I'm sure there's, they, the map didn't exist. And it was like, I'm sure there's land here, but it doesn't matter for these, like, intents and purposes. Yeah. It's like, nobody.
1: The saving grace for me has been is that the Big 12 has taken it on the chin this year in the same way the Big 10 did. I mean, everybody said they were the best two conferences, seven and nine teams, two teams in the Sweet 16 among the two conferences, Baylor and Michigan. Two? Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: The other thing um, – oh, the other thing I saw that I thought was funny back to Oral Roberts was I follow this sports writer named Spencer Hall, and he shared a picture of uh, – Someone had taken a picture of the Oral Roberts campus, and they're like, this is what the Oral Roberts campus looks like, in case you were interested in what new money looked like in 1975, because it's, like, very clear all the buildings were built in the 1970s, (laughs) and it's, I mean, I actually think it looks really interesting, because it's, like, I love that type of architecture. It's a period
1: piece, almost.
0: Yeah, but it is, like, you can tell, which I remember a lot about Washita, like, you can tell, like, nothing has been done in a long time, and... Mm. is a little bit older, so it looks I, – I prefer it. Do you know what I mean? It looks yeah. like something from the 30s or something like that, but it is kind of crazy.
1: Well, maybe we should do a road trip to Oral Roberts. It's just up Ooh. there in Tulsa, right?
0: Yeah, I was going to say North Oklahoma, right? Yeah. North East.
1: Well, it's been a good tournament. We'll Great keep tournament. pulling Great for tournament. Baylor. See men and women. I think the women are going to have their hands full tonight, for sure.
0: With – um.
1: UConn. UConn. Yeah. yeah I mean it's gonna be
0: I think the men will have their Arkansas wait are they playing Yukon or Louisville
1: the women yeah I as I understand it the UConn. this is the um this is the elite eight right
0: the big thing yeah yeah but Louisville's in the elite eight
1: yeah I'm pretty sure they're in Yukon's bracket
0: okay um and the men are playing Arkansas oh three seed yep so, that'll be Sweet. interesting, too.
1: Yeah.
0: I can't. It's hard for me to root for Arkansas. I, I don't
1: there. just... Yeah, I feel neutral about Arkansas as a sports team most of the time. I don't well, really care.
0: I lived there for four years, and it's... They don't have... You know, they don't have any professional teams. Right. And it's... So, it's just like the whole state. What's well, a lot
1: of that SEC area? Yeah. Um, for Alabama. For that's why they're so big in there. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi, same thing. Yeah. Louisiana the Saints.
0: Well, but both those states have a um like a uh sort of you know like lesser but still like uh a school that competes competes
1: mississippi state and auburn
0: yeah mississippi state and auburn arkansas yeah. it's just
1: arkansas the razorbacks yeah. yeah and
0: it is i will say
1: sec is a different kind of world in terms of sports fans
0: yeah Well, but because it is a lot of like states that don't have any professional teams yeah, and the fan base is insane. And that, I mean, you know, I think that means that the money is a little different in those places. Oh, yeah. Because there's nowhere else to, there's no one else you're going to support or whatever.
1: Okay. Well, we need to transition here. Can I tell you something interesting? Yeah. So my oldest sister lives in Minnesota. Yeah And we have had some funny residences and addresses at times in our life But last time was 2014 when we were between houses and stayed on campus I still get mail at church from stuff where I put that as my address at that time Interesting Um, But um, I, my sister in Zimmerman, Minnesota Which I guess I've had like um, Amazon things forwarded there Sure When I was there on vacation Yeah That's like the only thing but she sends me a text the other morning, uh-huh. and it's a picture of my name with her address uh-huh. from a neighboring town. And I'm trying to think, my roommates? Who from in the, the world? Neighboring town? Yeah, in Minnesota. I'm like, who in the world? That's so, so I was weird. so curious. It was like my thing for a day, because like, she sent it to me in the morning and came back from work, and finally, well, guess who it was? Who? The Jehovah Witnesses, inviting me in what? a handwritten letter to join their thing. I don't know what demographic data they got that said I would live at my sister's address. But for maybe. some reason,
0: maybe they got something from Amazon.
1: Well, I'm wondering if there was like a security breach. And, you know, so that's yeah. what they do with those things. Is they sell information.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the other thing is then like last week, mm-hmm. I get a handwritten invitation to the Jehovah Witnesses here in Waco. And well, my I w- also received. That. OK, so th- maybe they're going after pastors.
0: Oh, you think so? Yeah, They're
1: trying to get us. The year of turn like a, the tide on Christianity.
0: seems like a strange tactic. Yeah. To well go you, after pastors. you get the
1: you get the head, you get the, the body.
0: That's true, I guess. Yeah. Maybe they, they're hoping to
1: if they get me, I'll convert turn everybody. Turn us
0: all into Jehovah's.
1: Jehovah's Witnesses. So interesting deal, Jehovah's
0: I yeah, I don't know much about Jehovah's Witnesses. My mom works um her coworker is a Jehovah's Witness and I just always feel like I have so many questions I want to ask her and also I'm like, I want to be respectful of her right, and her belief or whatever. Yeah. And so... Um,
1: it always takes me half a beat to I get a mixed up in my head with Mormons in terms of belief. Uh-huh. I have to sort the thing. And actually, I still couldn't tell you who believes what.
0: Uh, well, I had a lot of friends growing up who are Mormon, actually, so I could, I can I can kind of wade in those waters, but...
1: Well, and the thing is, they're both Christian-ish, is what I would yeah. say. This yeah. This is why I have trouble.
0: Well, they both would they both would say like we are part of the Christian church.
1: But yet they try and convert me out of my Christian church.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's so strange.
1: Um yeah, and then I read Under the Banner of Heaven, which I don't pin on Mormons. I mean I treat that like you might treat Westboro.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. Away. Have to do that. That's not
1: fair. But um yeah, just interesting. They're, the the Jehovah's are really after me this, this yeah. time. Yeah. I will say this.
0: They really want you.
1: This is not without exception. One thing that's very odd to me uh-huh. is I feel like whenever I go by a kingdom hall of Jehovah Witnesses, uh-huh. it's always a brick structure without windows. Like, why don't you have any windows? Put some windows in there.
0: Great question.
1: I don't know if that's a thing. Or if oh, that...
0: I was thinking about the Salvation Army.
1: Oh, I think they are Christian.
0: I don't. Um, all I know about Salvation Army is the in The Music Man. And...
1: It's also in um, Guys and Dolls.
0: Oh my gosh, you're so right. It's not The Music Man. It's Guys and Dolls that I'm thinking of. Yeah, Guys and Dolls. Wow, look at you and your musical knowledge. Well,
1: that's been the surprise for all of us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but the building... Wait, there's like a church on the highway. That's the Salvation Army or Jehovah's Witness?
1: Um, Do you know
0: what I'm talking about? Like in between... In between, like, uh, I think it's the Salvation. Campus exits yeah. and. Yeah, there? it's Salvation Army. Oh,
1: okay. Historically.
0: I was trying to think of that building.
1: Okay. Yeah. We need to keep going. Hey, I have a. We, so, we got actually more feedback lately on this podcast than we have in a long while. Yeah. Because we got. Um, I got a text about last week's thing. We got an email. Uh-huh. And then we got an unsolicited request for us to cover some material, yeah. which was a movie, which I happened to see. Yeah. Called A Week Away. It's a new Netflix made movie.
0: A week away, and it's fic- It's like fictional, right?
1: It's fiction. Um, now, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Well, let me just do this first. Okay. So, um, I I saw a preview of this. You know, if you just leave your TV on, it'll kind of preview things on Netflix. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And
1: I I got the gist was it's this uh, orphan foster kid older teenager Zach Efron kind of thing. Who's gonna go to camp? Zach Everett. Well, it's a musical, and he kind of looks like him. I think they were definitely trying to. Okay. And he goes, and I see it's a musical. An
0: older kid. He's what did you say he is? He's adopted. Well, you know
1: how they. He's in the foster system. So, post his parents die, he's he's in trouble with the law. Sure. So very free willy Yeah. This family come. This mom and her son like we got a solution for you. You can come with us to Christian camp.
0: Okay. And as you do.
1: Yeah. So he goes to this, and then I watch the preview, and I see it's a musical. But then that I that
0: piqued your interest? Well,
1: because I thought, hmm, interesting, because it's Christian Camp. And then I saw, you know the guy who plays Todd Packer from The Office? Uh-huh. He's in it. Oh. He's like the head of the camp. So I'm like, oh, this is like going to be a funny spoof on this. It's going to be in the vein of Saved. Okay. Remember that movie sure. Saved?
0: Oh, yes, of course. I okay, like it's going to be
1: one of these. And it's a musical. It'll be okay. funny. Yeah. So I start watching it, and the first song comes on. And I realize it's um, Saddle Up Your Horses by Stephen Curtis Chapman.
0: Okay. I don't know any of that music. Well, I I didn't of...
1: know that song either, except for he came to Truett while I was there, and some some gals mm-hmm. in the audience really went wild for Saddle Horses. Okay. Saddle Up Your Horses. And then there was I'm Diving In, okay. and then there was Baby, Baby, yes. A- Amy Grant. Yeah. And then there was Big, Big House by Audio Adrenaline
0: a big big house so
1: all of a sudden this documentary which is very much turning out not to be a spoof well, um, not
0: a documentary right? not, not, sorry,
1: not this musical uh-huh. is, um, is using these 90s CCM songs uh-huh. for and, and the, the thing is that the choreography is great it's done super well the singing is good the acting I wouldn't criticize but the whole thing felt just kind of like a lame duck for me yeah. then there's this other interesting layer where it's oh Amy Grant has a cameo
0: Okay, great job. We love Amy Grant.
1: Um, so, like, now there's some investment. And she, from what I understand, has evolved. She's not like a...
0: Well, she got kicked out. She yeah. got canceled she by the got, evangelicals. Yeah, very, um, very first canceled. Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: So you have her, and, like, you know, she's been a Wild Goose Festival and yeah. it popped up in places where it's like, okay, she's evolved. Yeah. But she's part of this thing. And um, the other thing I noticed is I, I, if you got the screenplay, music and all, in Google, I don't think you hear the name Jesus mentioned once. And I only make that point to say... That's so interesting. It was like... This is exactly... Okay, so do you know who Kendra Cassie Dean is?
0: Kendra Cassie Dean. She
1: is like the um, practical theology professor at Princeton.
0: Okay. Okay? Yes.
1: She is part of this group that did this research and came up with this phrase, um, therapeutic something is something deism. Therapeutic moralistic like deism. deism. I thought this musical mm-hmm. is like the late projects, late stage... Um, efforts of like dying christendom moralistic therapeutic deism Uh it's like here's a moral good show for your family look we we use christian music but it's really no theology at all
0: is it a critique or no
1: no no that's like it's just like when i got done i looked at lindsay i'm like i don't know who they made this for yeah like it's it's uh,
0: cuz it's not for like ex evangelicals or people who no, are deconstructing. No. It, it's
1: not. And it's but I don't think it's enough to land to evangelicals. Right. Like there's not I mean it I should say this, it'll they'll they'll swallow it up cuz it's clean and whole and good. Yeah. But it's also not Christian. It could be. But yeah. then again it does have all those songs.
0: Interesting. That so is really I've interesting. never been
1: so confused by the end of a musical movie as I have as this movie
0: what's it called a week away yes does it have that christian movie feel to it like fireproof
1: or i never saw any of those like facing the giants fireproof me neither so but i I, don't know. I would guess but again it's like then i thought okay todd packer maybe he's had a big life conversion i gotta believe that guy isn't a born-again spirit-filled water-baptized christian so it's not like there was somebody he's filtering
0: he's not really todd packer like well, maybe yeah, but- he is
1: I just like all the roles I've seen him play, he does especially crude kind yeah, of humor.
0: That's true. So uh,
1: my point is there's nobody like in, in um casting that's like we gotta filter these for the Lord. Well but if you know? Amy
0: Grant is in there, mm-hmm. then that makes me think like she's not participating in like a super evangelical thing. Well this
1: this would be my guess of how this was. Okay. Somebody who is a Gen Xer. Okay. They were like twenty in nineteen ninety five. Okay. Uh maybe eighteen in nineteen ninety five. Sure. Got a deal at Netflix, pitched an idea for a movie, but they are an ex evangelical, uh-huh. but got constraints along the way and ended up producing this oh. family friendly <laughs> thing where it's like that's that's my guess of what happened.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I think I'm gonna go watch it maybe, but I'm not I,
1: sure. I want you to watch it just so you can tell me what the hell you think is okay, going on. Who I think it's. I would it. love to talk to somebody on the production side who really had a hand, yeah. in putting it together, and say what are you doing? Yeah. So well, what
0: was the goal here?
1: Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. So that we got a text from Val about that. Yeah. To to talk. So Val, there's my my feedback on it. She had talked about nostalgia. Yeah. Which, it certainly does that, but I was so confused by the medium that I couldn't even be nostalgic. Yeah. I'm just like, what in the world is going on? Yeah. Um, But that does bring me to another movie I watched that I want to tell you about. Okay. There's a documentary on, I think Netflix, called The Last Blockbuster.
0: Yes, and it's about The Last Blockbuster. And it
1: did for me what I, I mean, it's not a high quality, high dollar thing. It's not bad. Hmm. But it was like, it took me back.
0: To Blockbuster? Yeah blockbuster is like a visceral memory for me um i i do think it's kind of tricky because i think i had a a normal life transition right when blockbuster started going out of business which is to say uh as blockbuster started going out of business i moved into like late middle school and high school so that's like It's not, you know, all through elementary school, it was like every Friday night, we would go to Blockbuster and walk the aisles. And I would like beg my dad to let me get a box of candy or something like that. And my parents liked us to get the movies that weren't like only for the weekend. Okay. Because you'd always forget. Yeah. And so it was a big deal if we could convince them to like, let us get one of the three day rental things. Which your? were always the new releases, right? Yes, the new releases, yes, exactly.
1: Well, we didn't have one in my small town.
0: You didn't have one in town? No, long? so
1: part of what this um, film does uh-huh. is it talks about also like the mom-pop um, mm-hmm. video stores yeah. and how and why they eventually went out of business. And it was because Blockbuster could license purchasing for like massive amounts of mm. DVDs and videos for like $2. And then they would share pr- rental profits with major like uh, companies where the small places couldn't broker those deals.
0: Oh, oh my. So yeah. that's Our, why those We places- had a mom and pop video shop that we used, actually, yeah. when I think about it. But did it. you
1: know this? They had to buy those DVDs for a time and movies. They're like 100 bucks a pop. That's why nobody had movies in their homes. Because they were so expensive.
0: Movies? Yeah like the vhs's
1: mm-hmm. like when video stores would buy them in news releases they'd have to um
0: like that was why they were at video stores instead of yes the, in people's homes yes that is so interesting
1: and it used to be i did not know this is this probably early 80s before our time um you just would um you could buy them but nobody did and then somebody started buying them and renting them and that was the birth of video rental And then studios, it went all the way to the Supreme Court and studios lost that battle and eventually then got in bed with rental places because they knew that was the future and it made them more money. Wow. Isn't that funny how things evolve?
0: Yeah. And now how it's like we could just stream anything essentially. And then
1: eventually they figure out they could bypass the rental places and just, and apparently movie theaters now. (laughs) That's what we learned in COVID.
0: I know. Me and Kathleen, I think when I'm fully vaccinated, I think one of the first things we're going to do is go get... Um. Go to a movie Because it's one of my favorite things
1: um, Taylor I have a slight concern
0: Video I'm trying to gear up
1: for our interview in a few minutes here Yeah And the looks like the internet is down
0: The internet?
1: Yeah sorry listeners We'll keep trying this while we talk Okay let's get through a few of things We're going to have to interrupt our flow here and figure this out But um. Can I tell you one thing?
0: Yeah of course
1: Well, I do these weekly interviews with UBCers for the newsletter, Uh and I always end by asking who people's favorite is. Oh
0: my gosh, yeah.
1: And nobody is saying me, and it's starting to hurt my feelings. First of
0: all, it's a frightening question. In fact, I think some people might say you, except you just asked them that question, and they're like, well, it's not Josh anymore. (laughs)
1: Like that undoes me as favorite? Yeah. Well, I just say it's kind of depressing that nobody says me. (laughs)
0: Um, what, who do they, I mean, like, what, are they all saying Jamie or?
1: I think Jamie is in the lead.
0: Yeah. That's unsurprising to me.
1: Well, um, that just really does a lot of damage to my ego.
0: Well, that's okay. That's okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Also, I think it's like, what do you, you, that's not a great question. Who's your
1: favorite person on staff? Yeah. Why not?
0: Because I think people, there's a lot wrapped up in that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love that question. Are they saying? Are they answering? Who's your favorite pastor on staff? Like, who do you just want to be friends with? Who do you da 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 da? You know, who do you like from afar and you have no interest in being friends with? Which is really the question you are asking. Um, but that's confusing for a lot of people. So,
1: well, I think a few people should say me, even if it's not true, just to make me feel better.
0: Okay. Well, you're my favorite, buddy.
1: Thank you. I needed that. Good. All right. Next, I have a question, and I don't know that you're going to be able to answer this. Okay. But, um, listener, if you know the answer, I would love for you to message me. Yeah. So, as you know, I'm watching Community.
0: I do know that.
1: And um, so, at the beginning, there. so if you've not seen the show, there's a group of seven that are like the Community, okay? Right. They're the main actors. And one of them is Chevy Chase. Is that
0: why it's called community? I thought it was called community for like community college. I think it's
1: a double entendre. Okay. Yeah. It is, I think, at first glance for community college. I think when you get to the existential meaning of the show, you find out it's a community. Okay. So um, the show, when it does the title sequence, Uh does Joel McHale... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not gonna get this in the right order. I don't know everybody's name. You know, right. Annie. No, not Annie. But um, whatever. Allison Brie, Jillian Jacobs, which Jillian Jacobs and definitely Joel McHale is definitely the lead.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Jillian Jacobs probably the co lead, although she becomes and then Abed and Donald Glover. And then I do feel like
0: the shows like that, the ensemble eventually it's like it become they become also like certainly supporting as opposed to just like right. Yeah.
1: So then they do all of them. And then they throw in, like, with the regular actors, the dean, who is a pretty frequent character on the show. I mean, he's in every episode, okay? okay? But he doesn't have as much camera time as them, right. okay? Right, sure. And then it says, with
0: mm-hmm. Ken Jeong. Yeah.
1: And Chevy Chase.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Ken Jeong makes sense, because he also is almost every episode, but he's not as prominent. Mm-hmm. But for the life of me, I don't know what that means when a show has the actors, and then it says, with, and then it adds a few more. like.
0: It's like a contractual thing
1: okay what does that mean
0: that i mean certain actors and actresses are like i want my name to be in i don't i i don't know exactly what it means but that it is like it has something to do with contracts and
1: but is it an honor to be with because i would rather be billed as a main actor
0: so that's the thing i don't know i do think so uh i do think it's yeah it's supposed to be like a bigger thing or something like that if you're with I think so. Well, it makes
1: sense for me for Chevy Chase, because the guy is an industry giant. Right. I mean, he... he, Also,
0: I've heard the worst, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I've heard that too, actually. Um, But uh, it doesn't make any sense for me like with Ken Jeong, because what was his career before Community? I don't know. He did those uh, those weekend movies, or the hangover movies I saw him in.
0: I mean, those were gigantic movies. Yeah, but... Yeah, I don't know I see your point If I'm so
1: sure A film student listening knows We would love to know I would love to know the answer to what, what does it mean to be built with
0: But I've also seen that in um, I think Gilmore Girls so, Somebody is with I can't think of who Okay
1: but. As opposed to just Yeah In the movie Yeah Alright I have one other thing Before we take the quiz And before we do our thing But we need to pause And figure out our internet thing Because we got to get on the phone With our guest here in a second Okay Okay. Thanks, listener. We are back. We did our interview.
0: So we're
1: going to be able to prognosticate a little bit here at the end. Yeah. Okay. uh, Here's my last thing I want to talk about before we go to um, the quiz. Okay. I was thinking today, and this is a theory, but you and I – well, you destroy the theory right away, but talk me through your thoughts anyways. What? So I was thinking that um, I wonder if if in an argument –
0: I destroyed this, the theory already? Yeah,
1: because you'll understand why in a second. Okay. If the worst way to engage someone in a fight corresponds to their triad. Mm-hmm. So what I meant was, for me, if you want to lose me, shame me. And I noticed Lindsay mm-hmm. is does the worst when I use anger in a fight with her because she's part of the wrath triad. Sure. And I would think for like a six, the worst thing to do them would be to use fear to try and get ahead. Yeah. But maybe it's just the obvious numbers within each tribe. Because as I'm saying that, I just did three, six, nine. But I thought, no, because you don't seem to be put out by shame in the same way I do.
0: No, I don't respond to it the same way you do, I don't think.
1: So you could be, I am mean, not that we should use shame, but, but like, I, I guess it's not like going to destroy you the way I think it destroys me.
0: No, no. Well, it's just that like I already believe those things. They, so, so when someone says them to me... I mean, that's like my deepest fear. So I don't get mad. I tend to, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, it's not a great tactic for like an argument if you're looking to come to a conclusion. I mean, if you're looking to just win, then yeah, maybe. But mm-hmm. if you're looking to like have an equal conversation with me, like, um, that will not.
1: I guess maybe it's like, so for myself again, shame, well, you said maybe to win, so maybe it is the same. Like, shame puts me out. If you throw anger at me, I'll get angry back. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't make me go into a shell.
0: Yeah. If someone gets angry at me, I'm trying to think about, like, what, you know, it's different. When I'm, like, my healthiest, if someone is, like, trying to tell me, like, shame me or make me feel really bad about something, um, I... Well what a great thing None of those Tactics are great Well but also the way you're describing Them make me think of like Someone who's consciously doing that And that feels manipulative And if I'm feeling manipulated In a situation I will withdraw um, Because yeah. I don't I Because I can't trust that per, I don't trust that that person is like Trying to participate in a like a conversation where we're going to come to an agreement. I just feel like they want to win the, com- the conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, but if someone gets angry and I can tell that their anger is like real, that it's just like, they don't have any other emotion that they can, you know, that's the only emotion that's coming to them. Um, Then I think I tend to Like my initial response is with anger But I try to be understanding Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. So And I feel the same with shame If someone (laughs) No I don't know how I feel
1: We'll think about this maybe And we'll work on this theory
0: Yeah Okay so what is your theory that Well my
1: theory is the worst way to engage each triad Is with the What's that thing called? The shame, the fear, and the Um Wrath Wrath What are Those are the Does it have a name?
0: It's like the primary emotion of each triad.
1: Yeah, like the worst way to try and fight with the triad is with their primary emotion.
0: Yeah. But, well, but I don't think you should be... Yeah. I don't know that you should be engaging any of those.
1: Right. They're not great tools to fight with. Right, yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, work on the theory. See if it comes to you. I'll think
0: about it, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, Taylor. Yes. Um, I'm gonna do a quiz This is an odd quiz And again It's just me Liking to remember And getting you to guess things So we can talk about them Okay Okay so I was thinking first and This maybe is in poor taste About doing a thing to Because the Oscars are coming up Okay And I love the In memorandum What in it's memorandum. called
0: memorandum
1: Memorandum of I think because I I'm nostalgic And I like to remember And I like to revisit And it yeah. feels a little honoring In my heart To see yeah. those names Put up there And then I was thinking About doing that for COVID but that felt like flagrant. So we don't want to do that. Okay. But I did because I'm always stunned by how long it's been since people have been deceased. Like okay. Michael Jackson died in 2009. That was 12 years ago. Okay. Seems like yesterday. So um, I'm just going to go through a list and describe them, and you guess who the person is. And it'll be a way for us to just remember some people. Okay. Okay. This guy, Minnesota.
0: Okay, quick question. Yeah. Before we get started, this is just in any order? Yeah. Or? Yeah,
1: no, it's not chronological. Okay. This guy Yeah um, Minnesota Min- Minnesotan um, I didn't know I don't He's like iconic Musician With few songs But I don't think They're like A big hit list um,
0: Okay I thought I, I was thinking Of someone But now I think I'm wrong so. This
1: person has Their fam- most famous song Has the a, a Color in it Prince Yes
0: What are Okay Okay okay.
1: What, what are you Disputing in my description
0: Um You you said like a few songs
1: I don't know Like name for me five of Prince's smash hits
0: Well I can't But I know that Prince is a big deal
1: I just know Purple Rain Yeah That's it
0: I know But he's very important I just thought about
1: I think he's like iconic In the way that certain subsets are Like for some people He is the most important
0: Sure Yeah That's I guess that's I mean, just practically speaking, that's how every celebrity is. Like, you're always going to be able to find something But, like, I like, think
1: of Ariana Grande.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Massive reach. 109 million but followers. But you
0: don't know any of her songs.
1: No, but I can recognize she has cultural influence with it. I don't think Pritt's ever had. I disagree. Well, we, listeners, please tell us the truth.
0: Yes. But this feels like that time when, when... What question was it a couple weeks ago that, like, all three of you... You, Jamie, Anto, for, like celine dion oh my gosh
1: <laughs> what happened i don't even remember you, all
0: three of you were like is she even like around anymore
1: well i just mean is she doing things uh, it's it's disrespectful sorry <laughs> it's, disrespectful. <laughs>
0: it's disrespectful are
1: you um is she released an album recently
0: sure probably i don't know it doesn't matter because she's celine dion is
1: she somebody you love
0: um, or do you just yeah. think
1: this is like a male chauvinism disrespectful the things thing? I,
0: oh, no, no. I don't think this has oh, okay. to do with maleness. Okay. Um, well, it shouldn't. All Everybody of any gender should know Celine Dion. I Diaz mean, I g-
1: thought Prince was pretty irrelevant. He, just, and no. He's a,
0: Prince is also an icon. What's happening? This is what I'm saying. I'm making
1: my point that I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> okay, okay. I see, I
0: see, I see. Yeah.
1: All right, next. Okay, okay this guy... I think his death hit people really hard. Okay. Probably both because of the way he died, but also because I think he, this actor, comedian actor... I
0: know who it is. Who? Robin Williams. Yeah.
1: I, maybe one of the bigger deaths of the last 10 years.
0: I think so, too. And I think, yeah, a lot of people were hit very hard. I
1: think also because he had so many roles where he felt intimate in our lives.
0: He was like a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. His body of work, I think, is very meaningful to a lot of people.
1: Yes. Good Will Hunting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Captain Yeah. Okay. Uh, this person... I did not know well, there was a documentary made about her and sh- it won best picture. She was a musician, died young, tragic. The documentary was just her first name. It was called Amy.
0: Selena. <laughs> no. Oh, Amy? Yeah. Amy uh, Winehouse. Yes. Yes. Also, people, do you know it's a internet trend that I don't know where it came from? What? Um that I keep seeing on Twitter is people's being like RIP and then they, to someone like Uh Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Like I saw one that was like RIP to Amy Winehouse. You would have hated Lana Del Rey. And, um, I just keep seeing people say RIP to someone Mm -hmm. you would have hated or liked. And then they list something.
1: Okay. I'll have to start. And I don't know
0: what, I don't know what th- why it's a trend, but I just keep seeing it. Well, I it.
1: think Twitter is quirky. It does its own trends.
0: Twitter is definitely quirky.
1: Okay. Um, here's one. Um, I actually, in my mind, he is similar to Prince. Iconic musician, though. was quirky. It's a specific palette. It was huge in the 80s. He also has a very iconic role in a movie that people love that is similar to Pan's Labyrinth
0: a movie that people love. This is a person who's dead?
1: Yes. 16. 2 days after his 16th birthday.
0: Is is Tim Curry dead?
1: Um, I don't know. It's not that person. It's not here.
0: Um, who is it? No, David
1: don't. Bowie. Oh, yeah. What oh was, my gosh. What was course. that movie he was in that everybody loves?
0: Uh-huh. Where he's got know. the
1: spiky hair mm-hmm. and it's similar to Pan's Labyrinth.
0: Yes, I don't know the name of it.
1: Okay, next. All right, next guy, I I hate these movies. There's like 20 of them. It's what he's known for with Vin Diesel. Oh, the um, car movies.
0: Fast and Furious. Paul Walker. Too Fast, Too Furious. Paul
1: Ninja Walker. And didn't he die in a car accident?
0: Uh, I don't know how he died, but. Yeah, his Porsche. Well, the people who. I feel like Fast and Furious has a real following. Oh, yeah. People feel really connected to Somebody likes those
1: movies. I think Sam Goff likes those movies. Yeah. Because you know that guy that does the cardboard signs that are funny in New York and just holds them up? Uh-huh. He did the one that said, stop making Fast and Furious movies. <laughs>
0: um, that, I think that's offensive to cars, maybe. Okay. <laughs>
1: All right, next person. This, oh my gosh, 2012. Okay. That's
0: nine years ago.
1: She, um, maybe one of the best voices ever, I think. She was in a movie in the 90s that her song on this movie was like one of the songs of the decade and it was with Kevin Costner.
0: The song was with Kevin Costner? No,
1: the movie was with Kevin Costner. The song from that movie is like, it would be in the top 10 of the 90s.
0: 2012.
1: She died in 2012. She died drowning in the bathtub.
0: (gasps) Oh my gosh, that's so sad. I can't think of who. Whitney. Oh, Whitney. And Oh my gosh! I can't yeah. believe I didn't think about that. We're always like I, think we're... I, also... I think I also thought that Whitney Houston had died earlier
1: than that. Uh, this one we're not gonna do because you and I probably won't know it. Uh, oh yeah, this one no, he's not popular either. Oh, here's one. He died I think on the same day as another famous person, oh. and it was in '18. It was suicide in his hotel, and oh. he has this traveling food show that we all love.
0: Anthony Bourdain. Yeah.
1: Who was the, like, the purse designer died that day, too, or something?
0: I don't know. Anthony Bourdain. That is so sad. Yeah. I loved uh, his food show. Also, there's a (laughs) comedy bit I love from a guy about Guy Fieri. Okay. And um, he sort of negatively mentions Anthony Bourdain in the bit. And it makes me sad now. But yeah. I still love the bit. He could leave that part out.
1: Well, I'm sorry about that.
0: It's a bummer.
1: Okay, here's one that's like lesser known. This guy was an iconic figure. He was like a heartthrob show, teen show. Okay. Not like teeny bopper like mine. We weren't allowed to watch it because it was too adult. Oh. Early 90s with Shannon Doherty.
0: Uh-huh. 90210. Yeah, and who is? Oh. Um, Luke
1: Perry? Yep, very good.
0: Um, yeah, and he, because he also is, he was when he died in a teeny bopper TV show. Yeah, the Archie whatever it is, yes. Riverdale.
1: Okay, here's another one. This is a, a huge actress who okay. got famous for a trio of movies that every nerd in the world loves. She died in
0: 2016.
1: Oh, Carrie Fisher. Yes, yes. Not our boss. Not
0: our friend, Carrie Fisher. Okay, um, and then
1: guess who died like one day after her beloved daughter died in 2016? Her. her mom. Yep.
0: What is her mom? Debbie doing? Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds.
1: Singing in the rain.
0: So sad, yeah. There goes your vast musical knowledge again.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, okay, here's one. White Diamonds. Elizabeth Taylor Yeah Is that crazy You can get that just Okay here's one Um 2017 Too soon This guy Was I always think of him From True Lies He had like a supporting role That was Very funny to me Um I'm trying to think What he's most famous for Yeah I'm not gonna Okay Bill Paxton Remember him Mm -hmm. Okay
0: I don't know what True Lies is though
1: It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger Movie with Jamie Lee Curtis Okay Um trying to find
0: i never know how to feel about jamie
1: okay this guy people falsely said he had died he hadn't yet died he died like 12 hours later but there was a really funny like tweet meme going around about like the gates of hell and won't back down
0: (laughs) i don't i don't think i know tom petty oh oh my gosh I don't remember that happening.
1: Yeah, everybody, like, they said it was dying, and then he actually not died, and so everybody started using those lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and he won't. But, okay, this guy's son got famous, was famous, but more famous for twerking with Miley Cyrus at the Music Awards years ago.
0: Twerking?
1: Yeah, so who's the guy that twerked with Miley Cyrus? And I think it was the. You remember that? It was no. a big controversy. No, Miley Cyrus twerked in front of him.
0: Oh. I never pay attention to those thick. Names.
1: What's his name? Alan, Alan Thick's the guy that oh, died. Oh, what's Alan, the thick guy that died? Or the son's name?
0: Robin Thick.
1: Yeah, Robin Thick. Alan Thick. Growing pains. Remember that show?
0: I don't think I knew Alan Thick had died. 2016.
1: It kind of sad. Well, I hate to bring you the news. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. 2014. Wow, it's been seven years. Um. She would do all the runway shows. Um. Kind of a gossip column lady red carpet things
0: oh she would. oh um joan yep of art
1: yeah this guy died in 2018 That's he made the uh, mustache iconic huh. and
0: he, he made the mustache iconic yeah i just
1: really he's really known for um he was uh in burt some, reynolds yeah yeah all right let's see you're doing good
0: well who joan who's the real joan joan rivers Joan Rivers. I said Joan of Art.
1: Oh, sorry. I was already on to the next one. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, I just mentioned this. Aretha Franklin died mm. in 2018.
0: Uh, yeah. I think Ariana Grande sang in her funeral.
1: Okay. Here's one. Okay. This guy came up on our quiz I did last time with you. Okay. He was the uh, patriarch of the first television show of the golden era of television. He died in two thousand thirteen. Actually, I don't know that he didn't know that. So it wasn't
0: patriarch. I can't think. Um,
1: it wasn't the. What's the one show that I said? With why am I blanking on these? I don't know. The wire, not the wire. The other one that was very early. Oh,
0: the um Tony Soprano. Yep,
1: that guy James Gandolfini. Oh, James McElroy. You know what movie he did I that I watched? I also
0: don't think I knew that. Two thousand
1: thirteen. It was eight years ago. He, you know what Christmas movie I watched for the first time this year that I thought was really good?
0: Christmas with the Cranks.
1: No, I've seen that like every year. No, it's the one he's vacation in. Vacation Christmas. Yeah, with Ben Affleck, where he goes and rents the family and James Cagney. Uh huh. He's the dad. I thought it was pretty good. I'm always looking for good Christmas movies, so
0: that's true.
2: Oh,
1: Christmas this guy Christmas. you know from an iconic. Childhood cartoon that shows up in every generation, but also because he had a radio program on Sunday mornings, they still play it sometimes.
0: A c- cartoon.
1: Yeah, he did the voice of a character. I don't know. Casey Kasem. Oh yeah. The four top forty countdown.
0: Casey Kasem, man, that's a bummer.
1: Um, I didn't know this. Natalie Cole died in two thousand and fifteen. Mm. Hepatitis
0: C. Oh, that's. Sad. Oh,
1: here's a big one. Okay. See. Um, great actor. Gosh, it's been eight years. Um, died of an overdose. He was he had such a range of acting ability. He was in my favorite one of my favorite movies in was Along Came Polly. Mm-hmm. Um he's probably he won Oscar, I think, for um for Truman Capote.
0: Oh I Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. I, yes, the other day I was looking at movies based on true stories
1: What is he just in that I just loved him in?
0: He was in the Hunger Games movies
1: That's what I just rewatched, that was it Really? Yeah, Yeah. because where I read those books Good Oh, did name. he like them? Yeah, he did Oh, I don't, you know, I don't really know this person But I was surprised by how many people like him He was the lead singer of Linkin Park
0: mm, Yeah, I don't know that man Chester name.
1: Bennington uh fun fact about Chester Bennington, you know who's a big fan? Who? Oh. Um Waldrop. Chelsea Waldrop.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I went to a Lincoln Park concert when I was like a teenager. Well then you saw him. I did. I was very young. It was probably the first time I ever smelled weed.
1: Okay. <laughs> probably. Mm-hmm. Here is um she's a, a huge director. Uh Laverne and Shirley.
0: Director
1: I think she was in Laverne and Shirley But she's a director
0: Oh um, I can't think of either of their names
1: Penny Marshall
0: Penny Marshall Attaway Penny
1: Okay Here's a guy Not Casey Kasem um, But hosted a popular Show right For there. music People um, But we knew him better On December 31st Every year
0: <laughs> ah you know what the only name that's popping to my mind is that i know is wrong what carson daly
1: carson well that's um carson oh, johnny carson no sorry december 31st is new year's eve
0: uh, oh um i can't think of it
1: dick clark
0: dick clark
1: he died in 2012
0: dick clark's rocking new year's eve
1: yep Um,
0: I love New Year's Eve It's one of my favorite holidays
1: I love New Year's Eve People are probably getting bored of our
0: I think so We might be having more fun than other people are Yeah well thanks for
1: tuning into this Yes thank you so much Oh yeah we we added a long time on this quiz Okay Okay, we need to pause for Hopefully you didn't tune out Because we have a really great conversation coming your way we do About an amazing woman who does great work Before we get there though We need to stop and, and pause And get a word from our sponsor for today
0: Sponsor
1: Taylor Yeah Oh, my gosh. It's getting warmer out. It is. And if you're like me, after a hard day of labor in the yard, you're like, where can I get go get myself a fun family treat? Uh-huh. Well, you know, want to know where I would recommend you do that? Where? Katie's Frozen Custard. Oh, yummy. Yum, For all yum, the yum, best yum. flavors and all the state-of-the-art soft serve ice cream and other sort of goodies, mm. we recommend you go to Katie's Frozen Custard on 602 South Valley Mills right next to... Um, it's actually at the intersection here of... What's the street? Is it Cole... In Valley Mills. Something like that. Yeah. It's it's right there. You can... It's right... Smoot. Uh, where was that? Smoot and whatever the plumbing sponsor we had uh-huh. called. Right by there.
0: Right by Smoot. And something. What do you get at Katie's?
1: Well, I'm a traditionalist. I always just get like a caramel malt.
0: Oh. That yeah. sounds delicious. It
1: is delicious. Yum yum. But you can find them at 602 South Valley Mills Drive or give them a call to see what they look like or their menu looks like at 254-754-5899 or why don't you visit them at katie'sfrozencustard.com? Woohoo! The greatest stuff on earth. Wow! All right, welcome back, listeners. We are glad that you are here, and we are now going to introduce our guest. Our guest is Cheryl Miller, who we should first say we know as the mother of the fabulous Danny Miller, Yay. who is a former UBCer. Yeah, um, Danny, and
2: da- Danny Miller Holmes.
1: Danny Miller Holmes. Yes, yes. sorry. Um, uh, Danny and Brett are doing great things in Virginia, still, right? Um, and but the reason we want to talk to you is because of the work you do with under the broad banner of what I'm going to call reconciliation. Sheila, you wrote uh, link, the language of Shalom, Seven Keys to Practical Reconciliation, um, and Correct. did I see you wrote something else as well?
2: Well, uh, we have. I, I'm working with a co-author, and we have a book that's coming out in August of this year. Um, it's called Business Doing Good. Um, Elevating Women and Engaging Communities
1: and what's the name of the organization you're with currently?
2: I Have my own business. I do consulting. It's quantum circles consulting and training
1: Okay, that's because I I found your name under several things when I was googling you earlier last week Um, But quantum circles is where people can find you correct so, um, Now we have offered listeners a a trigger warning because I do want to talk in depth about what you do. Um, And when I say that, I mean, just some of the people that you've gotten in the same room uh, to talk, but can you describe uh, broadly what you do?
2: Well, in context to what I guess, what I I do a variety of different things. And so uh, I, Right now, I, I own my own business, and I do consulting and training, and I do cons- the training is based on two different areas. One of them is uh, facilitated dialogue around reconciliation, transformation, and the other is economic development. Um, seems like they're different, two, two different extremes, but they really do blend well together when you're trying to address communities. Um, so that's what I do for a living. And then I also volunteer for a program through the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and I'm a volunteer mediator for them with victims of violent crime and their offenders in prison.
1: So I suspect that most of the questioning then that I would have would come from the first piece of what you do professionally, that is the, the reconciliation work, but then also the, the volunteer work you do. And I when I talked to you last week, or I sent you the email, I had said we had been talking a lot about cancel culture and this notion of unity after january 6th and um we i mean we taylor and i come from it at different angles and yet we i think for the most part agree yeah. but um i just i suspect that there are things you could tell us or ways to see some of these things that are happening culturally based on your work with individuals that might further inform how we we think about those two things um, does that make sense sure so can you just um I guess then describe the reconciling work you do, and then maybe share some anecdotes about the kinds of folks that you've been able to get to sit together and the work you do to prepare them to have those conversations.
2: Yeah, the volunteer work that I do, I wouldn't call reconciliation. Um, it's it's a healing process more than anything, particularly for victims. Uh, there's no There's no goal of reconciliation between a victim of a violent crime and the offender that committed that crime. Um, and so, so that's a little bit of a different, a different uh, perspective, but it's that process that, that, that I got to see how it played out working with victims of violent crime and their offenders that led me into the work of reconciliation um, and doing the training that I do. I do two different types of training. One of them is called transformative dialogue, and it is just how to have ch- hard conversations, on um, difficult topics and teaching people how to communicate more effectively, especially on polarizing issues. And the other one is that I've been doing a lot lately is restorative justice circles and helping people come together and have conversations in groups about things that are polarizing and usually have a lot of conflict and or trauma associated with it. So I'm not in the, I'm not in the, I don't do a lot of reconciliation work myself. It's more of preparing other people how to facilitate reconciliation and or challenging conversations. I mean, I've done some, I've done some things on reconciliation, you know, the, after the riots in Charlottesville, we did a restorative justice circle around the statues, uh, you know, that were, that were part of that riot. So that was one of the things that I participated in, but for the most part, I just teach other people how to do it.
1: So um, let me let me follow up with this. You said, and I think even being as elementary as starting here, you said with the, the mediation thing you do for, is it jails, is that right? Prisons? It's a prison. You, you said the goal is not reconciliation there. Um, no, even not- that nuance, can you talk about why that is? And um, obviously some of that's worldview and other things, but, um, and then can you talk about some of the kinds of folks you've mediated between and what the goal was there?
2: um well let me just give you a little bit of basic information about the program that i volunteer for it's called victim offender mediation dialogue and it's through the texas department of criminal justice through the Vic- victim services division and it's designed for victims of violent crime to be able to have to, to be able to request a face-to-face meeting with the offender that committed the crime against them uh, it's a voluntary program the victim has to initiate that process and so the you know the victim if they have have an interest in meeting with the offender, they would call victim services they would say they want to meet with their offender they they would take the some basic information and they would assign that case to a mediator so and in some situations they assign it to me i'm I'm a volunteer I'm the only volunteer mediator through t d c j The rest of them are all staff mediators. Victims will initiate that process for a variety of reasons um, and so that's you know, m- most often than not, it is they tend to want to know exactly what happened or they want to know if the if the offender is remorseful or they want the offender to understand the impact of it, that the crime had on them. So there's a variety of reasons. But, you know, to say reconciliation is would be a really challenging thing to say, can, because it's like if if you have a sexual assault, you're not going to want the victim of a sexual assault to be reconciled with the person that raped that w- raped her. And and same thing, you know, I do a lot of cases that are murders, and in many instances, the victim never even knew the offender, and so there would not be a goal of reconciliation there either. And so, for the most part, those those cases are just for the victims to get either insight or healing um, around what happened in the crime. So, and I've done that for about 19 years. Most of the cases that I mediate are murder cases, DWI DWI manslaughters, and like I said, sexual assault.
1: And are the the criminals, are they required to be a part of that process or they also get to volunteer to do it?
2: It's all voluntary, it's all voluntary. So, you know, like I say, they, they send the case, if I get, like I just got a new case, the first thing I do is I reach out to the victim, you know, have a meeting with them, find out what their goals are, what their expectations are. Then I go and I meet with the offender, I and I explain to them that the victim in their crime would like to, has requested a face-to-face meeting, would they be willing to participate? If they say yes, the next important critical piece is they have to take full responsibility for the crime. If they don't take responsibility and acknowledge that they committed the, co- the crime, we close the case and that's it. That's it. It's done. And so uh, that's a really critical piece is that the one who committed the harm has to take full responsibility for the harm.
1: And why do the, um, you didn't use the word criminal, I want to honor the language used. What's the the word you used? Offender. What? Why do the offenders agree to do it?
2: Different reasons, um, um, you know. Most often than not, because they just feel like it—it's the right thing to do. Mm. Um, it doesn't affect it—it it, it doesn't affect their status at all. As in the prison system, it also doesn't affect their parole. All of the all of the information that we have in that process stays with victim services, so they don't really get anything out of it other than just for doing the right thing. And
0: if you had and to I, get, sorry, you go. I, I,
2: I will say, I will say, you know, you may, you, you uh, asked about the language and the term that I use. And offender or ex-offender is kind of a challenging word these days. Uh, I, um, and so sometimes it pushes people's buttons, especially those who have been incarcerated. You know, they would prefer the term formerly, incarcer- formerly incarcerated. Um, but in the prison system, at this point, people who've committed crimes who are in prison are called offenders. It's, you know, it's, it's on their badge. It says offender, everything in the paperwork that we have is, you know, victim and offender. And so that's, that's why I use that particular language. It's not necessarily that I think it's the best phrase, but it is the the accurate phrase at this time.
0: If you had to um, think about like just the, this is not the question I was going to ask, but I'm just interested. Um, if you had to think about just like the mediations you've worked, about how often does an offender take full responsibility and agree to meet with a victim?
2: Gosh, you know that's hard to say. I would I would say maybe about half the time, maybe a little less. Uh, it's 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 not it's not all the time. That's for sure. Yeah. And and even and I've even had some of them say, yeah, I want to participate at. And, you know, because it was self-defense and I'm like, well, that's not taking responsibility. If it was, if it was self-defense, you wouldn't be in prison. Right. So they'll think they're taking responsibility and they're really not. And so, you know, it has to be really, really owning what they did.
0: Yeah. Um, um, well, my original question is sort of going back towards, um, the work that you do professionally, um, as far as setting people up to have hard conversations or divisive conversations. And I just wondered if you have seen, um, within our society at all, cause you've been doing this work for a while, right? Correct. So I wonder over the last several years, if you've noticed a shift in any direction in like, interest in this kind of these kind of conversations like are people more interested less interested um do they seem more committed to doing this or less i would just like to like do you feel like we've shifted in any way in our society
2: i would definitely say people are more interested um i think people are tired of the rhetoric and tired of all of the 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 extremes uh, and wanting to be able to have conversations that are that are decent again, mm-hmm. and so and so I, in fact, I was as a business I was getting really my business was really picking up last year as far as doing trainings around circles and 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 victim offender mediation that type of thing and and then when COVID hit, having face to face meetings and trainings got immediately shut down uh, and. And we I've tried and I've tried to do some of it online and it's been fairly successful, but to be really for it to work really well, it works better in person. So we just did our we just did this past week um kind of a hybrid where half of the training was done online through Zoom and the other half of the training we did face to face where people actually got to practice facilitating in the context of a circle. And so um I haven't been as busy as I should have been had it not been for COVID or would have been, yeah. but it was already starting to pick up and I'm seeing it pick back up again now, especially things, especially since things are starting to open up a little bit more. Like I said, I just did that training last week. Yeah. Um, and then last year, prior to everything shutting down, two of the trainings I did were through dispute resolution centers. Uh, dispute resolution centers are located in, mostly major cities and they historically have just done, they train people to be mediators, just standard mediators, not not the kind of mediation I do, just traditional mediators. Mm-hmm. And they take cases from the, off of the court dockets. Mm-hmm. They use volunteer mediators to do civil cases and family cases and you know custody and divorce and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And they've done that for years. Um, but then recently there have been two DRCs that I've worked with where, Uh, in one county the judges contacted the DRC and said we would really like you to look at start to start doing mediations on criminal cases because the criminal cases are so backlogged in their counties and there's people sitting in in jails waiting to get to trial that they that the judges were reaching out to uh, DRC's to see if they can take take some of that response take some of that load off And so I did a training yeah exactly and so that was really exciting to me that the criminal system, criminal justice system is is open to exploring restorative justice and victim-offender mediation in circles as a way to address the, the cases that they have that are pending. And then I, the other one I did was um, in El Paso, and they were looking at particularly working with juvenile offenders and partnering with the juvenile probation department out there to use those processes. So I I think there's... I think there's two groups that are we're seeing an increased interest. Uh, one of them is those who are working in the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. um, and the other is people like the ones I just trained this past week. Mm-hmm. It's community members who realize we've got to have these conversations around hard issues. We're not effective in the way we've been doing it. The way we normally communicate is very polarizing, very divisive, and so they wanted to be able to have uh, this training, and the group that I, it was—the group that I just did—it was people from a. It was several people from a local church, and then the university, and the county health department. And their their plan after the training was to begin having conversations around uh, around race, around LGBTQ, and those types of issues, where they can bring people in and have a productive dialogue as opposed to a dis- divisive one.
0: Oh, and can you, I'm sure this is like, a. am asking you to do a gigantic task in a small amount of time, but can you give us just a a general overview of like what a circle looks like as opposed to people just like walking in and saying whatever they want?
2: Yeah, uh, a circle is a structured process and it's a restorative justice process and you bring people together and they sit in a circle. Uh, there's several things that make a circle unique. One of them is that it has a facilitator or a circle keeper um, or or two of them sometimes it 's co facilitators the 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 circle begins like with an opening ceremony that kind of set it apart, saying we're you know we're kind of leaving everyday life and we're coming into this space. Mm-hmm. That there's there's guidelines that that the circle follows. Uh, it's based on people's values. When individuals what you know really acknowledging the values that people bring into that space and what values they need to be able to share um, personal intimate dialogue with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the really unique features is the use of a talking piece. Uh, the facilitator has a talking piece and will ask the question and then that talking piece is passed around the circle and the only person that can speak is who's holding the talking piece. Okay. So there's no crosstalk, no interruption. The talking piece always goes all the way around the circle and makes its way back. And, be- and because of that, it really forces people to think about what they're saying when it's their turn to speak. And it also forces everybody else to be silent and listen to that one individual. So it's a very equalizing kind of process by using the talking piece. If there is a decision that has to be made in the circle process, that's usually done by consensus where everybody is okay with the outcome, even if they don't necessarily agree with it. If they'll, if the group has the consensus, um, what needs to be done. And and then that would be what they would move forward. And then when in the circle is complete, then we do a small closing ceremony to kind of say, okay, that time and that space is now over and we're going to go back to reality. Hmm
0: interesting that's really fascinating
2: yeah they're very very powerful there's some it's because of the structure and the safety that people will let their gardens down and talk about issues that are really personal and intimate and as the facilitator it's 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 the facilitator's responsibility to maintain that and because of that what happens in a circle and what happens in mediation usually goes much deeper than it would in a normal conversation and the, and the, and getting there happens more rapidly.
1: So I want to back up and ask one question for potential clarification. You said because of the backlog of criminal criminal cases in the court system, judges are actually looking to y'all to, to help bring resolution. Did I hear that correctly?
2: Yes. Not so, to me, but to a DRC, and I was training their mediators at the DRC.
1: Okay, so DRC. I guess my question is, so you said when you do your mediation work, um, you know, uh, offenders have to claim responsibility for the process even to begin. It, I guess I'm asking, if this is um, presumably part of court work, if I'm, a, if I'm a defendant, I want to hold on to my innocence as long as I can. Um, is so that's different than what she's doing you're yeah, saying
2: these are two different types of work right yeah well no yeah there are two different things that you know the community stuff and the criminal stuff and if if a person's maintaining their innocence I, to be honest with you i'm not 100 sure how the drcs are going to structure their program uh, but but when i was working on my graduate degree i I did my master's thesis on uh, using circles in juvenile justice as a way of sentencing and so we we used circles for juveniles offenders who had committed crimes but it was in those particular crimes it was not it was cases where there wasn't any question of guilt or innocence it was more of they were it was they were caught red-handed or whatever and it was determining the sentence more than it was okay the guilt or the innocence. Um, I think it could be used for guilt or innocence, but it would be a different structure and that's kind of.
1: So can you speak about some of that research? Like did, did you find some surprising things when you applied the circle method to sentencing? Like who, who would. Oh yeah.
2: Say- yeah, it was, it was highly effective. Uh, one of, just I'll give you an example. One of the cases we did was, uh, it was three juvenile offenders and um, they had done some destruction of property and both to the city in public spaces but then also to some private property and all three of the juvenile uh, offenders were given the option to participate in the circle as, as opposed to the traditional court system only one of them opted to do the circle and so um it we there was a specific there were two specific victims whose property had been damaged and so they sat in on the circle Uh, And so the circle was made up of myself, a juvenile probation officer, the juvenile offender, the juvenile offender's parent, a community member, and then the two victims. And so there was not a question of, of whether this crime had been committed. It was a question of what was going to be the penalty for committing that crime. And the damage that had been done was significant enough that it could have been a felony charge. Um, but they also, it was also could have had gone through diversions where it would be like on like on a diverse, be on, but not probation, formal probation, but a diverted probation for six months, or it could be formal probation for a longer period of time. And in the conversation, that you know the, the 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 juvenile offender had taken responsibility, but he had played it down a little bit. But when we got to the actual meeting. Um, he took full responsibility, more than he had even in the preparation that I had done with him, really acknowledged that he had done the harm, which it was, it makes sense because the the, the, the property that he had damaged belonged to the people sitting across the room from, him, so they knew what he had done. They, they saw the property afterwards. And so he wasn't gonna pull the wool over their eyes, like he might've been trying to do over of her mind. Um, but when it was all said and done, and, and, the, and the victims in that case were adamant about getting uh, the full restitution, for the cost of the damage to their property it's like I, that absolutely has to be done I have to get all my money back that they damaged and you know we couldn't make that promise but we did go to circle and when it was all said and done the, the juvenile vendor and the mother agreed to pay back the full amount of damage but the victim in that case um, Really, at one point, kind of turned and said, "You know, I think everybody should have a second chance. I don't think, you know, I don't think formal probation is necessary." And so they came to the agreement that it would be a deferred case. He would pay back the full amount, which was like two thousand um, dollars. And um, and and when they left, that you know they closed up the case. We were, I was, I, I finished up, and I was debriefing with the probation officer. And when we walked out. The, the two victims and the juvenile offender and the mom were still in the parking lot talking, just visiting about things. And they didn't even know each other prior to that. Mm-hmm. And so after that case, um, the, the, at, at, and the follow up for that case. What we found is, is that that young that offender who participated in the circle paid full restitution and served out his probation successfully. The other two juvenile offenders who went through the traditional court system never paid a penny on restitution. The victims never saw any restitution from them. So hmm. it was highly successful. And, and so, it's been researched all over the place, you know, all over the United States and other countries. It's used in a lot of places and the research shows that it's a highly effective process.
1: And I can imagine you know, just even intuitively what that could offer that the, kind of the clinical nature of the judicial system couldn't, which is allows right. people to be human in those moments. So I exactly. guess now I do want to turn to the reason I wanted to have you. I don't know, and, and perhaps I should just even ask if you pay any attention to what cancel culture is. Um, no. and so that's not a term you're familiar with.
2: I'm familiar with it, but I in the last, Probably 18 months. I've been very intentional of of what I watch and what I follow so that because there's so much there's so much that's out there that's toxic. I just for my own mental health have had to say I am not going to go down these rabbit holes. So I know a little bit about about it, but not not a lot. The general idea of what it is. Right.
1: So let me, maybe we can frame the discussion and you can decide if you want to jump in or not. Um, so we talk a lot about it and Taylor and I, you know, I think we agree on some things about it. We disagree. Uh, one of the things we agree on is that this use of uh, a very large group of people through media um, kind of coming together to withdraw different forms of support of powerful figures who refuse to accept responsibility as a good thing. Right. Like um, if, it, but it was interesting to me that you, you've been talking about that process Said the first step is the person has to own their, their mistake for it to work in the first place. So we agree on that. I think the other thing we've identified is one of the limitations of, of cancel culture and really the media world we live in is that these aren't real relationships um, be it a celebrity or not, or just somebody on Twitter that said something that we don't like, but, um, and that for this real kind of work to, to happen Needs to be in some kind of, you know, we're in the church context. So we say a committed kind of covenantal relationship of one form or another, but um, I, I guess I'm wondering then if, if you can just comment on um, the nature of that thing, or does there have to be a certain kind of racial or relational proximity for the kind of work you do to work?
2: that's a hard question um in in the best case scenario yes um yes that you know for harm to be repaired for responsibility to be taken a face-to-face interaction is is important it's not necessary but it is it can be done um the, the reason i say that is um one of the things that, that we can do, one of the things that's been done is what's called like a surrogate mediation where somebody stands in on behalf of the offender if the offender's not taking responsibility um, and facilitating the mediation. So that's not a relational s- situation with the two people that were in harm, uh, but, it, it, but it still facilitates healing and understanding. And that's, that's kind of what we did in Charlottesville uh, after is that right, Charlottesville? That sounds funny, um, but anyway, that was that was like a surrogate mediation where we had the the circle was around the harm that was done by civil rights, that the, the harm that was done by the leaders that are represented in these civil rights. I mean, the Civil War statues, not civil rights, the Civil War statues, and um, my my personal family lineage is has a lot of people that fought in the south and i'm indirect and, and i'm related to robert e lee and so danny and i since this was in virginia danny and i p- participated in that circle around the issues of what is represented in the civil war statues and and so half of the circle were white people who had come from that lineage including myself and danny and the other half were people of color and in that situation was they were all black and we had conversations around, you know, the the issue of harm that has been done to, the, to to people of color over the years, and 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 at one point, you know, I had revealing to them that that my lineage was what is represented in these statues, and taking responsibility for that, and saying, you know, I can't, I can't. Say what the, the fat, what the what the actual people represented would say, but I know as a as a descendant, I I completely, I completely take responsibility for for the wrongs that we had done, and so it was. It, it's relational, but it's not relational if that makes sense. So that's why I said it's a hard one to answer.
1: I'm fascinated by this, Uh, there's so many things psychologically I'm I'm wondering about, but can you speak to your disposition emotionally as a participant in that moment and what you feel when you're claiming that complicity, complicity?
2: It was a terrifying moment um, because the facilitator had, the, the questions that had led up to it was, have you ever been, have you ever been harmed? because of the color of your skin. And obviously, the very few white people said yes. <laughs> I hadn't and neither had any of the rest of them in the group. Um, there were every one of the black participants in the group had suffered that and and one of them, sh- you know, they shared some pretty significant traumas about how they had lost family members uh, in the past through lynchings and stuff. And so Hearing their stories uh, knowing what I was knowing that the question was going to come have you have you or anybody in your family ever harmed anybody because of the color of your skin i was I didn't know what the reaction was going to be, and so i I was extremely nervous, and I know also if you're going to take responsibility for the harm and 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 if there is a need to repair that harm, then that responsibility would lie on me and and so my my thought was what if they you know what if they how are they going to react to what i'm saying are they going to be angry and if they are i mean i have to own it i mean it's it's justified and so it was it it was it was very very overwhelming uh but it ended up being a very beautiful moment Uh, one of the women came up to me afterwards and she said you know you didn't have to do that and those and that, that doesn't and she kind of touched me she said that doesn't belong to you she was touching me over my heart she said it doesn't belong to you she said but i needed to hear those words come out of your mouth mm. and i was just like wow <laughs> so it was a very it was it was a very moving experience all the participants agreed afterwards that it was probably one of the best conversations that we, that we had had in, that they had had in a while particularly around the issues of race
1: a uh, real quick question, and I'm not going to drag this out if, if your answer is no, but uh, you've written once, now, twice. Have you come across the name Renee Girard at all in any of your work? No. Okay, no. I'll save that for another day.
2: Okay. Um,
0: I do have a question about um the process and the need for ownership and, you know, how you have, you've talked about how, like, if someone's not going to own it, then it's not, you, you know, you don't engage. And I wondered what the underlying understanding of that was. Like, was it just like, well, we can't have a productive conversation with this person not engaging, or it's not a conversation worth having? Like, what what is the sort of underlying understanding of why you don't engage, you don't begin the process if someone is not willing to take ownership?
2: It's a revictimization, uh, yeah. revictimizing the individual. You know, if, if you've been sexually assaulted. Do you really want to go and hit here? The, the person who's sexually assaulted you say, I didn't do it. It was consensual. And when you know, it wasn't, it would be re victimization. So it's and, consen- and from, from, a, from a, from a biblical standpoint, I mean, especially when you're talking about reconciliation, I mean, accountability is a part of that process. You know, uh, we, we're not reconciled to God unless we acknowledge that our sin, you know, we have to be willing to acknowledge that we're a sinner before we're reconciled with God. So why would we expect it to be any different when we're reconciling one to another? I mean, you can choose to forgive somebody and maintain a relationship, but that doesn't necessarily mean that relationship has been reconciled, uh, for it to be reconciled fully, there needs to be accountability for the harm.
0: Yes yes so the concern is the concern is for the harmed indi- the individual who has been harmed and not putting them in the position to continue having a, the same experience or not the same experience necessarily but uh potentially an equally traumatic experience with someone who's not willing to own their part of the or the, the actions that they've taken against somebody.
2: Right. And it creates a secondary harm, you know, right. by, through the denial.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I was, yeah, I was just, I do feel like, because sometimes when we talk about um, cancel culture or, you know, people being canceled or as I, what I, I like to say is that people are being held accountable for what they've done. Um, then like I... I do think that's part of, for me, it seems hard for someone to sort of reenter into society in the way that they previously had, or for me to be like, cool with it, or think it's a good idea, if they haven't like taken accountability and, you know, sort of address something. And it's tricky societally, like Josh said earlier, like, with celebrities and stuff like that, these aren't necessarily people we know. I can't know what they've done in their own personal lives and whether or not they're taking accountability and trying to grow and become a better person.
2: Well, and you, can, you, can, you can hold somebody accountable, but that's not the same thing as taking accountability. I mean, the system, the, 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 the state of Texas is holding people accountable for the crimes they've committed. I mean, they're in prison for, they're being, they're being, you know, they're being punished for what they did. That's not the same thing as taking personal responsibility.
0: Yes, that's true. And I like the point that also that you made about it's, and certainly that can be very far away from reconciliation in any capacity. Um, Holding someone accountable is different than them, like sort of experiencing reconciliation and then the person they injured also experiencing reconciliation.
1: Um so a question i have is this you talked about going back to that example you gave about the circle with a juvenile um that was if i understood you correctly property destruction yes um do certain crimes limit our ability to have that kind of restoration um or um is it really something you can hope for in in any case obviously you know there are limitations if it's a murder the the victim can't participate but um, I'd, I wonder if that impacts how you approach your work at all.
2: Um, well, are you talking about in the sentencing part or you like to be able to?
1: Yeah, I guess in the sentencing part, like um, let, let's say you were given the keys to the judicial system and um, could really try and bring the most good out of every situation. I guess are there some crimes that you just wouldn't even attempt this with because they're so bad and the, the psychological damage done isn't it can't have a kind of reconciliation to it or do you think it's possible in all these cases?
2: Well, I would be careful about violent crimes uh, because of the trauma experienced by victims, especially if you're talking about a sentencing phase, because uh, victims of violent crime go through you know, pretty significant trauma, especially at the beginning. And so being subject to something like that might be a little bit dangerous. And I mean, I'm sure some people would be capable, but I think there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't be. And the other part of that is, um, the VOMD program that does do mediations between victims of violent crime, it's the victim's choice uh, whether or not they want to participate. So, you know, it would always need to have that level of voluntary re- responsibility um, on behalf of the victim. Because there's a lot of victims who could not be in the same room with their offender. And so, forcing them to do that would be traumatic.
1: Uh, here's another question, I had, and this may be similar to something Taylor was alluding to before and asking the question. Do you find that the temperature or the, uh, the kind of availability or the readability or what I'm going to call it, of people to do this has shifted? Um, and I'm going to be explicit in the last four years with, with President Trump. Um, and I realize that there's been kind of um, heated attitudes on both sides of the political spectrum, but have you noticed a shift in people's posture to this work? or has it been unveiled in a new way that has surprised you? I, I,
2: I think it's only, I think the shift has only happened probably in from, from what I'm seeing personally. I don't, I can't speak on a broad scale because, you know, I just don't, I'm not working on a broad scale, but I would say the shift has been more in the last six, five or six months. Um, Mainly since the election, you know, everything is. I think, I think it's it had gotten so bad in the last four or five months that people were just like, "Okay, we got to do something." That's that's the sense that I that I'm feeling. It's like it, we can't keep going like this. It's it's, it's gotten so bad. <laughs> And so I think there is more, there are more people that are really trying to engage and having real conversations as opposed to conversations in the media.
1: Um, Okay. Here's one more. Uh, And this is, uh, this is a little more lighthearted, but I am curious because I I find this is the case with a lot of professions. So you do this work. um, Do you find, because you do it, you can also internalize it and apply it kind of every day in your personal relationships? Or is it more complicated?
2: Um, no, it becomes a way of life. <laughs> it really does. Uh, it, it 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 bleeds over into everything. Um, you know, when you're working, <laughs> when you're working, telling people, hey, you need to take responsibility for the harm you've done. After a while, you have to kind of look at, in the mirror and go, I probably need to be. I probably need to be operating in the same way. You know, really owning it when when. Um, when I've done something wrong and I've also it also has forced me to look at relationships that were severed and to say okay am I going to practice what I preach and can any of these relationships be repaired and making attempts to repair where it's where it's where it's possible so yeah it becomes a way of life
1: <laughs> can you um, tell us like what are some books or some people or some uh, places that are wells for you I mean, you're doing intensive work that I would think takes a lot out of you, but um, has there been a particular voice that has been helpful for you to kind of stay on track and, and continue to do the work?
2: No, I mean, other than the, I mean, I, I promise I'm not trying to sound cliche, but it's really the, the spirit, the, you know, the spirit of God that makes, that's the voice that's the most peaceful and calming. Um, The, the work that I do with the victims, you know, we have the opportunity to have the opportunity to debrief with staff all the time. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult and challenging, but, but it's so powerful and rewarding that it's not hard, if that makes sense. You know, when, you listen to the trauma that people have suffered and the grief that people have suffered by losses of violent crime. It, on the front end, it's, it's it's really hard to hear. And, you know, there's times that I just weep on behalf of the victims and the people that are lost because they deserve the tears, to be honest with you. You know, they deserve to be wept over. But then, But then when the process works and the victims come away with a sense of peace, and, a sense of, and in fact, one of the very first cases that I did, it was a murder case. And the mother had, it was a mother and her son, her only child had been murdered 10 years prior. And the, her grief was even 10 years later was just overwhelming as she would share what was going on and everything. and we'd go to the mediation and i expected that grief to be show up at the mediation and it did it uh but she she asked her questions and said what she needed to say and when i followed up with her after the mediation the next week i asked her how she felt since the mediation and, and her words had such an impact on me she said well i don't know How to explain it? She said, I guess the best way to explain it is like for the last 10 years, there's been this boulder sitting on my chest, slowly crushing the life out of me and crushing the breath out of me. And since the mediation, it's like that boulder is gone and I can breathe again and I can live again. And I was like, holy cow, in an hour and a half, she went from this woman who was slowly dying and not being able to breathe to someone who was breathing and living again that being being a part of that transformation felt like it felt like sacred ground for me to be on you know and every time i sit in the mediation and i'm sitting here and and on one side of the table is this person who's done this terrible harm and the other side of the table is this person who was harmed by them especially when forgiveness is offered by the victim I feel like I'm watching the gospel playing out before my eyes in real life. Because if there's anybody that has the right to condemn this, the person who's done the harm is the victim, you know, and, and the offenders will say, if if it was me, I would say they need to lock me up and throw away the key. And yet I'll sit there and, and the victim, instead of saying, I hope you rot in prison for what you did is saying, well, I want you to know, I forgive you. I feel like you know, that's just what Christ did. That's, that's the gospel. You know, we could have been condemned, but we weren't and we were forgiven. And so it feels like a really sacred space for me to be in. So it's not, it's not as, it's not necessarily a negative thing, even though it's a hard thing, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that was a a really beautiful answer. Thanks for, for sharing that with the anecdote for us. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, uh, well, Cheryl, I don't have I don't have any more. I mean, I have a million more questions, but also I don't know that I have any more questions for our time together. Um, and so, I just want to say thanks for doing such amazing work, and thanks for sharing it with us, and thanks for being willing to talk to us about it here so that people can listen to it. I'm really excited for our people to listen to it, for your UBCers to get a chance to. Listen and hear about what you do and that work because I think it's really important. And um, uh, and I'm just thankful for
2: you. So thanks for being well, here with us today. Josh has one more thing he wants to say. And I'm sorry I couldn't give you more insight about your topic of around cancel culture. But
1: well, your what you had to say was probably much more enriching. And and we can we'll we'll throw back and forth later for fodder and unpack it. But if people want to reach out to you after listening to us, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Um, They can go through my website. uh, It's Quantum Circles Consulting. Uh, That would be the easiest place. So just Google
1: Quantum Circles Consulting.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. And um, you do corporate stuff, you do church stuff, you do everything. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, this has been so much fun for us. Thanks for giving us your time, Cheryl. We feel spoiled.
2: All right. Bye. Thanks for having me.